Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Eureka Moments Only podcast. I'm your host for today, Nick Callens, here with Pioneer in Education, Dean Andy Stott of USC Dornsife College of Letters, Arts, and Science. Dean Stott, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Nick. Of course. So um, the first question I have for you is regarding the uh, the liberal arts and what makes a successful person. So Elon Musk was a physics and economics major. Steve Jobs was... Uh, um, Steve Jobs' favorite class in college was calligraphy, and Mark Zuckerberg was a psychology major. What is it about the liberal arts that makes a successful person? Well, that's a great question, and um, you know, thank you for having me on so that we can consider this. It's a question that goes back thousands of years because, you know, the liberal arts is not something that you can very easily define. It's a collection of interests. The liberal arts and sciences includes um, humanities, it includes social sciences, it includes, of course, natural and physical sciences. So it's a really broad area of, um, you know, knowledge and academic pursuit um, that's very diverse. So it's not one thing. Right? And I think mm. that that's its strength, right? That's essentially its strength because a liberal arts education encourages you um, to explore widely and broadly. And, um, you know, there's plenty there to experience in depth. But mm. I think the range is also a really important thing. So a liberal arts education is another way of saying you're acquiring range, right? And everybody mm. wants to have range. This is what um, can help you be successful if you have a variety or a, or a sort of wealth of different cultural um, and uh, scientific touch points from which to draw, this really helps you become a kind of um, well-informed, well-educated and kind of discerning person. So when you tell me that these successful people, and I knew some of that, maybe not all, um, have liberal arts backgrounds, I'm not surprised at all because the liberal arts is really a place where people get to explore a great deal and indulge their intellectual curiosity because of this range and this diversity within that field. And, you know, sometimes we come to know ourselves obliquely, which is mm -hmm. to say that I might not necessarily know what is best for me always. And somehow I sometimes I have to kind of uh, stumble upon it or have it revealed to me somehow, right? And this idea that we can explore in lots of different ways, or, you know, especially the story of Steve Jobs, who obviously is a very technically minded individual, is incredibly gifted when it comes to marketing and branding and building a business, that he should be so interested in calligraphy is an oblique route into something that really ends up being very meaningful for him, which is right. that the aesthetics of technology and the aesthetics of the user interface is really profoundly important for us in our relationship with our devices, right? And, you know, we don't want ugly devices. We want beautiful devices that feel kind of smooth and luxurious to use. And, and so something that's very um, artistic, something that requires a lot of patience and attention to detail, like calligraphy, would be an oblique way into sort of realizing that about yourself and finding that connection and thinking, oh yeah, that's really kind of interesting. I that that sort of you know inspired me in these ways that maybe aren't completely obvious. And if he'd taken a class, as I'm sure he did, many classes in computer science, it wouldn't necessarily be revealed to him in that way, mm -hmm. right? Because that's a yeah. 
that's a far more uh, direct and literal way to get to technology. So these kind of roundabout ways, these oblique ways, these exploring, you know, there's that bumper sticker that says that um, not all people who wander are lost. And that really is, if you like, a kind of a motto for the liberal arts. It's explore. Right. It's find these things and see what connects with you because you never know where it's going to take you. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree um, that having a like a range of education with liberal arts is can definitely be beneficial to one's success. Yeah, and you know, you know, I think I think what has happened in the last sort of fifteen to twenty years in American higher education is that it's become very instrumentalized, and that makes mm -hmm. a lot of sense, right? People pay a lot of tuition, um, especially at a school like mine, the University of Southern California. I mean. The, the tuition is expensive and so people want a return on their investment and that's completely understandable right and so they're looking for some kind of guarantee right they're looking for an education that will mean that by the time that they graduate they are qualified to do x mm -hmm. now um that's that's why professional schools are so popular that's why engineering is really popular because when i'm done i can be an engineer that's why medical school and the pre-med track is so popular you know, that's why business school is so popular, right? I mean, you uh, engineering school is popular, but you need to be really good at calculus to be in the engineering school. You don't need to be good at calculus to be in the business school, right? So it's really right. popular with people. Um, business administration is the most popular degree in the United States. It's the most popular major of all the majors that are offered in higher education in America. Um, but you don't necessarily see um, you know, hundreds of thousands of young people having innovative and creative ideas that are leading to, you know, great personal satisfaction and right. wealth, right? So there's this idea that if I do that degree, I'm going to get a job, but it's not necessarily the degree that is going to ignite that spark and give you the eureka moment because it's quite, it, it, it's a degree that provides you with a set of very utilitarian skills. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the thing that's made the liberal arts, if you like, sort of somewhat unpopular is the same thing that's so great about it. Right. And the, and, and the decline in interest in relative decline of interest in the liberal arts in the last 15 or 20 years comes from this idea that people don't necessarily know what they're going to do with it. Mm -hmm. So they say, like, why would I study philosophy? What, what job am I going to get with that? Right. And that's a very valid question. And it's a question that's related to return on investment and what people think you know, they go to school for, which is to get a job and join the middle class and be able to afford a house and a car and all those things. And that's good. I'm not, I'm not sort of um, bagging on that at all. But the liberal arts doesn't necessarily give you that guarantee. Mm -hmm. What instead it does is it will say, well, you're much more likely to find that thing that is uniquely yours and passionate because you've been given this latitude to wander around and explore. And for some people that induces anxiety and for others, that's exactly what they want, right? Yeah. Um, they want that way of kind of finding. And so, you know, it's a really good way to expose people to a whole range of things so that they can really discover what it, where their passions lie, but also give them the opportunity to move across disciplines and actually braid things together in new and interesting ways that have, have not necessarily been conceived before. And that's another great thing that Steve Jobs did, right? Computer science and aesthetic experience, you mesh them together and you get these beautiful Apple products, right? Yeah. And he, he did something amazing with that. Exactly. 
Um, so this next question is regarding COVID-19. Um, the big question across the, across the world and schools everywhere is, are they going back in person? Is it going to be hybrid? Is it going to be online? Like, how's that going to impact education? So um, what are the challenges and opportunities facing higher education in a post-COVID world? How, like, how's it going to change the world in education? Another great question, and um, one that really requires a crystal ball. So er everything I say, take with a pinch of salt. All right. You know, we were doing an enormous amount of strategic planning in my university before COVID-19. You know, we were um, we were looking at all these different dimensions across research, education, service of how the university should operate in the 21st century. And then in mid-March, everybody had to retreat to their homes in California and shelter in place. And, um, you know, we moved the entire institution online in about in the space of about three days. So on the one hand, it was amazing that we did that. And it was an incredible coordinated response to a crisis mm -hmm. and universities across the world did it. So, you know, we weren't alone in that. But it also showed that perhaps our somewhat instinctive aversion to online education was maybe not as based in reality as we thought it was. There's a huge appetite of America for a residential education, you know, so I think campuses are always going to exist. Mm -hmm. I think people, them, you know, their, their rites of passage, uh, people who've been to college think very fondly on their college days, people who are in high school are desperate to go because it's the first step on the road to independence and adulthood. Mm -hmm. You know, people meet their lifelong friends, have these great experiences. So there's always going to be a place for campuses. And there's always going to be a place for in-person teaching too, because teaching is more than just the transmission of information and knowledge, obviously. It's mentorship, it's it's um, you know, sort of modeling um behaviors and techniques and sort of ways of of being in the world and sort of, you know, lifestyles and forms of adulthood, if you like. So, you know, there's a, a really important sort of socialization and maturation thing that goes on in person mm -hmm. in campuses. But in terms of content delivery, there is also a lot to be said for the online platform. So I really think, um, to sort of cut a long answer short, I really think that a lot of our strategic planning is actually gonna be put on ice and we're gonna post pandemic have to stop take stock and say how much of this is still relevant and how much mm -hmm. do we actually want to carry forward from what we learned from our COVID experience. So for example, you know, the University of Southern California didn't really do much online education in the un undergraduate space, right. you know, it had graduate mm -hmm. uh, courses online. I think that'll change because I think a, you know, we appeal to constituents who are all over the world and they'll want to have access remotely to our education. But also some things like lectures, you don't need to sit in a room and listen, listen to a lecture. You don't need to be in the lecture theater. You can do that online. And then when we meet in person, we can do something more meaningful. And that mm -hmm. is, you know, whether it's been going through problem sets in groups or having discussions about, about um, literature or going through historical documents, the time that we spend together in person, we can dedicate to that kind of um, hands-on interaction Right. interpersonal interaction human to human and that time where i'm just lecturing at you you know 
I can do that on a podcast. I can do that on a video. You don't need to be exactly. in the room, right? And we don't we don't need to heat that room or um, AC that room or even clean it, right? Mm. So there's some efficiencies <laughs> that can be made there too, right? So I think I think I think we'll see a lot more hybrid online in person education, but I don't see the on campus experience going away because fundamentally I think that's what people want. Right. Yeah, that, that's, and I have to say, it's very impressive that in a span of three days, you guys were able to convert your whole entire university to a computer. I know, it was like 6,000 yeah. courses. And, <laughs> that's um, crazy. You know, it, it, it was nuts, but it just shows that, um, you know, when you're sort of pushed up against the wall, what you can do, and everybody did it. And, you know, mm -hmm. there was some variations in quality, obviously, because, you know, some people were a bit more digitally literate than others. Right. And, you know, because we live in Southern California, there's all these kinds of um, canyons and valleys and hills that meant that some people had issues with their internet and mm -hmm. what have you. But by and large, you know, the vast majority of classes were a success. Um, and, uh, you know, students really responded too. I think everybody had that kind of um, spirit of making the most of the situation that we were in. Right. Yeah. And uh, the whole entire world, in my opinion, is educated because no one thought that they could have these classes online. Everyone thought there was like you could only have a literature discussion in person. But after um, being introduced to like Zoom and like online rooms and it's um, it's 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 interesting. No one knows what's going to happen, but um, it's uh Thank you for your, your yeah. prediction. I, th I think it's it's pretty accurate because this hybrid stuff's gonna um, change the world. Yeah, and I think you know there's a lot that some students especially really enjoy about it. They like being able to go back over the lecture and review, you know, mm -hmm. and and do all that kind of stuff. Um, some people, you know, maybe feel that in an in-person environment, they're not so confident speaking up or participating and they find online easier for that, a bit more conducive to that. You know, there are some things that we're going to, that some students are going to miss out on that we're going to have to make up mm -hmm. for. Right. Um, so, you know, in, in liberal arts and sciences, some technical lab experiences will, will need to go over those with people. Mm -hmm. Right. And of course, at USC, we have a lot of art schools. So, you know, fine arts, dance, theater, you know, um, uh, cinema, of course, it's really mm -hmm. difficult not to do those in person. And so they're, so they're doing a great job, but, you know, I think what we will see, and you're right here, Nick, we'll see a more blended, those things that make sense to do online, we'll keep them online. And those things mm -hmm. that you really can't replace, you know, like athletics, um, you know, uh, uh, a, some kind of musical performance, right? Um, many of our in-person discussions, then obviously they'll stay where they are. But, but yeah, you know, it's often crisis that creates change. And so there will be definitely a, a, a fundamental shift in the educational landscape post COVID. I think I feel fairly confident saying that that's true. Yeah. And another thing, I think there's going to be a lot of mixed opinions because, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like some people are going to like love being online and doing their discussions in bed and, and <laughs> then going to class for the, like the hands-on courses. But, um, some other people, like, especially for universities, like, well, do you think they would get like frustrated that they're paying for the university and like it's on a computer? Yeah. Is, Without you... question. 
and yeah. we feel these questions all the time and I really sympathize and I get where people are coming from you know they are saying that if my education is all in line online I should be getting a tuition reduction mm -hmm. and um you know that's a complicated question Definitely and I think it probably yeah. deserves a podcast all of its own but you know the university still has expenses when you pay for tuition you're paying for the expertise of the faculty and they're still teaching mm -hmm. you right um so you know there's a um, there is a lot to be said about that. And there's other ways of, if you like, reimbursing the students, mm. if it's not intuition, you know, it's in, um, you know, scholarships through financial aid or increased opportunities. And we've been working incredibly hard on um, the support programming, you know, to, to have new and innovative opportunities. We're offering global internships, for example, where people mm -hmm. can virtually internship with companies in Europe and in Africa. Um, and you know stuff like this is really unique and it's um it's 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 definitely weird and it's definitely not intended to replace forever um more normal experiences but we're very attentive to the fact that you know we really need to um do more for our students we can't just expect them to be on zoom and be happy with right. it we have to um supplement their education with these additional opportunities so they really feel that they're getting um a value um mm -hmm. for their education right because otherwise you could just do um and you know one of the Khan Academy courses or Coursera mm -hmm. or something and just be done with it. But no, a USC education means something. And, and it's not just USC, it's every good university is thinking along these lines, right? It means something. Our, our institutional values mean something. So we need to add more. Yeah, no, that, that, that um, philosophy of the value of education, I think is what's gonna make a lot of people be okay with it that are frustrated with it. That's uh um, yeah. That's one, that's one. And, you know, I've been surprised. I thought that um, there would be many more deferrals and leaves of absence than there are, mm. but people are sticking with it. And I think um, in some respect, it's the question of, you know, well, what would I do anyway? Right. right. Because there's no no great options. It's not like I'm traveling the world because nobody's allowed to go anywhere. Mm -hmm. um, but I also think people are saying, well, look, you know, this will be over soon. And um, yeah. I want to keep my affiliation with the university and I want to keep on track to graduation. Yeah. Congratulations. That just goes to show <laughs> how like the value of education you give your students. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is great. I mean, you know, people are so loyal to USC and, mm -hmm. you know, uh, Fight on. USC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, going back to what we were saying earlier on how like the liberal arts um, and like gives people more creativity to find their passion and what they want to do for their career. Um, what advice, what advice would you give a high school senior about what to study in college? That's a great question because, um, going back to my earlier answer, very often that's the point at which people mm -hmm. are struggling with this question of what do I want to do with my life and how am I going to sort of guarantee myself a kind of secure living? So, you know, people are often, and this happened in my family too, you know, people are often thinking about their passions and then their future. And sometimes those things are not compatible. Right. Like they're thinking, you know, I'd really like to study art history, but will I get a job with art history? And, um, you know, maybe I should do something a bit more practical like economics or business. And those conversations are going on all over the country and people are having those. And so what I would say to people is two things. One is 
Um, it's most important, the most important thing you can do is study something you're interested in, irrespective of right. what it is. By virtue of the fact that if you're interested in it, you'll do better. You know, you'll get better mm -hmm. grades on your assignments. Your professors will kind of like not be more naturally drawn to you because you're one of the more engaged and interested and talented kids in the class. And through those relationships, you'll get better mentoring. You'll get better letters of recommendation, more opportunities and doors will open for you, irrespective of what it is. Like be the best in the thing that you like. It doesn't matter because um, nobody, two years out of college, nobody cares what your major was in, mm -hmm. right? It's just all about who you are and what you bring to the table and your work ethic and your, you know, your sort of aptitude and intelligence. So it doesn't matter. But even before we go there, the thing I would say really to, to um, high school seniors and juniors is um, don't worry about it yet. Doesn't yeah. matter what you pick now because you can change it. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah. you know, don't go changing in your third year as a kind of junior in college, because, you know, you may now be adding semesters and years onto your education. Mm -hmm. um, but sure, for a year and a half, you should just explore and you should you should declare a major in whatever you think sounds good now and then explore, take some classes in that, see if you like it, take lots and lots of other classes not only just um, explore widely in things that sound interesting, but ask around. And I think one of the best pieces of advice I ever heard is, um, you know, ask the other kids in the school, who's the best professor you've ever had? And mm -hmm. just take a class with them, right? doesn't matter what it is. If they're a really good educator, it will be an interesting experience, even if the material is not something you really think you would like and you never know. And that's again, another one of these ways of obliquely finding out what your passion is, mm -hmm. right? Coming at it from a slightly different angle. So I would say those two things. The first thing is do something you enjoy because then you're gonna succeed. And the second is don't worry about it too much because it will become clear to you by the time you're halfway through your sophomore year. Yeah, no, that, that's very good advice. Uh, I never thought of it as like passion leads to success. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, all those guys who listed off at the beginning, the billionaires, uh, yeah. you know, that's I mean, that's exactly what they've done. Right. They, um, you know, they I mean, um, Zuckerberg and Gates, they dropped out of school. Right. They're like, yeah. I, I'm passionate about this. This is what I right. want to do. It's yeah. not like um, anybody's making me do it. No one's holding a gun to my head to start Facebook like they're passionate mm. about getting it going. So. Um, that is really genuine. Yeah. And so now, of course, there, I'm not um, naive enough to think that there aren't external pressures. You know, there are parents, there are siblings, there are school counselors who'll be telling you do this, do that. You know, if you do this thing, it's going to be career suicide. Yeah, exactly. And as a younger person, it's very difficult to tune those things out. Plus, you know, if, um, you know, your parents are paying for your education, they, I think, quite rightfully might want to have a say in it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, you've got to balance that out to a certain extent and everybody does. But ultimately, it's your education and it's your only opportunity to go to college at that time in your life. Right. So it doesn't last forever. It's a long life after college. So you really need to maximize it to enjoy it. You know, one of the things, again, anecdotally that we see a lot of is and this is interesting and worth kind of reflecting on is that a lot of undergraduates, when they're in college, they don't really enjoy general education, right? And the general mm -hmm. education curriculum 
you know, constitutes about somewhere between a quarter and a third of all the credits you'll take in college. And you're, you know, you, you are required to take a number of classes in a whole range of different categories because the faculty has decided this is good for you. And once you've done that, you're a more sort of well-rounded and educated person, right? It's a very liberal arts idea. Mm-hmm. And a lot of students will say, well, I don't want to do this. You know, you're making me take this class. I know what my major is. I know what I want to do after college. So why can't I just take more courses in my major and more courses that will be useful in the job that I want to do? And, and, you know, that's a, that's a valid argument. I understand why people are saying that. They're saying you're keeping me from what I want to do and you're making me do something I don't want to do. So, so that's how it is for the undergraduates. Then when we speak to alumni, and these are folk that have been out of college for maybe 10, 20 years, and ask them what their favorite classes were, it's very rarely something in their major. Mm-hmm. more often than not it's some random general education class they took just because they had to and they suddenly found the thing was really interesting and that the professor was really great and they remember it forever you know i hear this all the time people like you know philosophy people will take a random philosophy class and, and it's amazing you know yeah. another thing i'll say is if i if i was to add of business at the end of many of our course titles, they'd have so many more enrollments than they do. So if <laughs> yeah. I was like, you know, if I had a philosophy course and it's called something like Foundations of Epistemology, you know, how do we know knowledge? How do we, how does knowledge get created? Or what's the philosophy of knowledge? And I called that Foundations of, um, Foundations of Epistemology for Business. It would yeah. have three times the amount of people in it. So maybe that's the trick. Maybe just have to write for business at the end of everything. Like, you know, yeah. Read James Joyce's Ulysses for business. <laughs> and all of a sudden yeah. it's, yeah, it's full. It's <laughs> <laughs> like Aristotelian philosophy of business. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. That's exactly yeah. how you do it. Um, no, I, I definitely see what you're saying. <laughs> a, a, a lot of parents put a, like, since they're paying for their education, they put a lot of pressure on their kids to do something with business or economics because they think that that's the only way they can be successful in the future and they'll be well off and they'll have what whatever they want. But um, I definitely see what you're saying. Like a compromise, like a middle ground mm-hmm. can be a good solution to that. You know, a major for you, a minor for your parents. Right. Like Exa- exactly. Right? But, you know, <laughs> like, um, um, you know, it happened in my own house. You know, my brother wanted to go to art school and my dad said, no, he's like, it's, you know, it's not practical. You're not going to get a job doing that. Mm-hmm. And so, my brother ended up not going to college because he didn't want to do the options. He ended up getting a job. And then um, much, much later, sort of 20 years later, he ended up going to stonemasonry school and working in cathedrals carving gargoyles. Oh, wow. Right? That's very, so that's, that's like, pretty cool. He, he kind of, yeah, right. He yeah. really delayed this artistic education because of this disagreement with my dad. But it was so strong inside him that it had to come out eventually. Yeah, it, it's hard to put off a passion exactly that's mm-hmm. exactly right that's exactly right. yeah i mean and another thing is um like for example if if i were really interested in music and want to study music and my parents are saying no you need to go do business like i don't want you like to be we're not going to pay for this education and you be unsuccessful in the future because it's such like, a risky like position to to go to be a music artist so in that case i would compromise and say okay well what if i do like music industry or music business or like producing record labels, something that's more like 
guaranteed to get you a job and it's still your passion. And then if you study that, like kind of something in between, um, like what you're interested in and what your parents want you to do, you could transition either way. And that's, I think another thing that, yeah, just say I'm taking this class called hip hop for business. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you know, they'd all be, they'd be like, yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Um, (laughs) that's exactly right. I mean, it's, it's finding that balance. It's finding a pragmatic thing, but it's ultimately trusting yourself, I think. Right. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the world is obviously full of graduates with business administration degrees because it's the most popular uh, uh, major in America. But how many of those people, if they'd really honestly been given a choice or followed their passion or felt confident enough to do it, would have those degrees, right? I think it's right. very interesting to see. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I understand it. And those forces are definitely there. Those kind of pressures are there. But in order, you know, if you want to be somebody who does something, you have to have the confidence to follow right. those kind of instincts. And and that's another great thing about liberal arts, like you were saying earlier, <laughs> because there's so much creativity that goes into it, and because it's like so like broad, you can like transfer off into so many different like areas of expertise, so many different job markets, and um, it's... yeah, I mean that's that's right. That's why that's another reason why the liberal arts is kind of. Um, you know, suffered a little bit over the last 20 years. And I, I'm saying 20 years, but but really we saw a very big hit in liberal arts enrollments across the country. I mean, you know, I'm not talking about like these elite schools like USC or, mm-hmm. you know, Penn where your brother goes and stuff like that. It's, it's um, just more broadly in the sector after the 2008 financial crash, right? Because all of a sudden people are thinking, well, I got to go to college, but like, I'm not taking a risk. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm going to do something that's going to guarantee. And so you understand that there's a lot of kind of cultural anxiety at work. But I think what we need to do a better job of, and I'm talking educators and people who work in the liberal arts particularly, is explaining that, um, you know, even though your your degree might be called history mm-hmm. or or sociology, you learn a lot of transferable skills and these are skills that can be used in any field or any domain. Right. So, so I'm a literature professor um, and a Dean and um, you know, I use these skills that I acquire daily. You know, I, I, um, I can synthesize large amounts of written information and kind of condense them down. You know, I can write well, I'm a good um, verbal communicator. I can formulate a reasoned argument and, you know, convey the salient points. You know, I, I believe I have critical thinking skills. You know, I believe right. that I've picked up some kind of empathy and uh, sort of ethical judgment from my exposure to uh, world literature and the conversations that I've had around that. There's some creativity, you know, I write a lot. So, so that's just in my field. And if I was in, um, say, a social science, I'd also have a skills, skills with data sets. Right. right and statistics and regressions now if i was studying chemistry or biology but i'm not on a pre-med track i'm also picking up skills in experimentation and kind of causality and reasoning and that kind of scientific deduction right so all of these wonderful sort of critical thinking skills can be extracted from the major you don't have to think about the label of the major mm-hmm. put that to one side and think about the skills and how you um, these are incredibly desirable skills among employers, 
right? And, and, and we see this all the time. We see employers saying, well, you know, I do want people to be able to use Excel and understand basic statistics, but I want someone who can communicate with humans. I need somebody right. who's got some, you know, some emotional intelligence. I need somebody who can be culturally sensitive. Exactly. I need somebody who can interact with people from all different walks of life. I need somebody who can problem solve and when presented with a series of data points can assess them and decide what the best way forward is. So, you know, that's what a liberal arts education gives you. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm not saying that you don't get that in a business education or an engineering education either at all, right? What I'm saying is the liberal arts specifically, that's what we do. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I really think that a liberal arts education provides a very deep range of transferable skills. It's just that maybe we, me, has not mm -hmm. done a good enough job of communicating this to prospective students, their parents, so that people feel um, empowered to say, well, actually, you, you know, you're, you're saying, what can you, I do with my history degree? Well, I can do pretty much anything, mm -hmm. right? And that's empowering. Right, that's mm -hmm. really empowering. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a marketing thing, and it's about kind of explaining some of this. I feel. Yeah, and the other thing is um, when people are hiring people out of um, hiring students out of college, like for their corporations or companies or businesses, and they see that they're a liberal arts major and they're well rounded, that'll make them more inclined to hire the individual because they can, they see that they're not just like business and straight business. They're they're mm -hmm. They have, they know a little bit about philosophy and classics and like mm -hmm. economics. They're, they're more well-rounded and they have a more, more diverse education. So they'd be able to contribute more to the, to the group that's hiring them. Does that make sense? I, I think that's right. Would I you mean, agree? you're seeing that a lot among computer scientists now. Right. So computer science obviously is a very popular major and, and rightfully so given how much our, our society relies on, on the digital realm nowadays in all these walks of life. But computer science is hard and those kids study hard and it's intense. There's a lot of math, a lot of technical learning. Um, and as a result, there may be um, lacking some of that other dimensionality that you just talked about. So a lot of engineering schools and I think employers in general are looking for people who have technical skills, no question, but can also add some of that other dimension. And, and that's something we've been increasingly been interested in in, uh, in USC Dawnsife is how do we add, how do we complement some practical skills with a lot of the technical, mm. with a lot of the critical thinking that we've been talking about. So for example, you know, I, I could be a literature student, I could be extremely articulate and empathetic and good at writing and have a wonderful kind of uh, critical reasoning sensibility, you know, but maybe if I could do a data regression on a data set, that might be the perfect package, right? right? So we're trying to kind of encourage people to do that. We're by no means technophobic, quite the opposite. And one of the wonderful things that the spirit of the liberal arts is that it constantly evolves with society. So it's not like we're kind of walled off and we're like, oh, we just read Aristotle and the rest, you know, we're mm. kind of Luddite about the rest of it. No, we actually think that um, a liberal arts education is about embracing technology and its relationship to society in a more profound way. And so I want you to have some technical skills too. So that's really going to be an, a next step as well. And actually, in terms of post-pandemic, I think we'll be looking increasingly at yeah. how to expand that. So, so you guys are like kind of molding with as um, 
like the future goes on and society moves on and everyone evolves, liberal arts education is also going with that. And it's talking about the philosophy behind that, correct? Yeah, you can't fossilize anything, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I think that the the important things of critical uh, of uh, of a liberal arts education are these transferable skills, right? And those right. transferable skills are profound, mm -hmm. but you apply them to objects that change, right? So in the 19th century, I might be, you know, we might still be uh, debating uh, the theory of evolution or something like that, and we're doing it with many of the kind of critical thinking skills of the liberal arts. You know, but the science hasn't moved on. But now we are very much living in the 21st century. We still have these critical thinking tools, but we just apply them in different ways. And mm -hmm. so, you know, for example, we have uh, people who are thinking about um, issues related to uh, what it means to be a, a human and what democracy is in a virtual space. You know, questions in which the the um, the application is always right. evolving along with society. It's not like we're always looking backwards and saying, well, you know, what would Plato have said? Mm -hmm. You know, we're interested in, in in Platonism, but we're what we really we're really really interested in what's happening in the current moment. Yeah, that's very insightful. Thank you. Um, so the to remain competitive in the future job market. Um, successful entrepreneur Mark Cuban states that there's going to be a greater demand in 10 years for liberal arts majors. We kind of already touched this subject, but like, would you agree and would you see the future of how, like, where do you see the future of higher education going and what skills do you think students will need in the future? Right. So I agree entirely with Mark Cuban on that one. Mm -hmm. I think the the liberal arts is about intellectual flexibility. Right. And it's about being able to integrate knowledge from different disciplines, being comfortable with that process of synthesis and being able to adapt quickly because you're, you've not been educated in one rigid way, but from uh, sort of multiple perspectives. Mm -hmm. That kind of intellectual agility is all the more important now because of the pace of social change and the pace of technological change. Mm -hmm. So we're dealing with issues now as a result of our technology and our society that never would have been issues when I was growing up, right? Because right. society is ever evolving and things are moving incredibly quickly. And with artificial intelligence and things like deep fakes and uh, the misinformation that exists in the world, the need for critical thinkers and people who can actually make uh, a reasoned judgments for themselves based on evidence is going to be increasingly important. We're going to need more and more and more of that. Um, and I don't mean to hyperbolize, but we're going to need more and more of that to protect our democracy and ultimately mm -hmm. our freedoms. So a liberal arts education doesn't, it doesn't exclusively provide people with the tools for good citizenship. I think there's lots of avenues to that, um, but it's one of the most important ones and it's one of the most effective ones. So we're gonna need liberal artists because they're gonna be able to um, uh, uh, move with the times and stay flexible, but they're also we're also gonna find, I think, an increasing reliance on some of those human skills that artificial intelligence has not yet found a way to replace. Mm -hmm. And those include things like complex communication, um, empathy, um, uh, nonverbal communication, cultural sensitivity, um, and something I study and I'm very interested in, humor, right? Artificial yeah. intelligence has not been able to replicate humor, and that's an innately human activity. 
um, and actually humor may contain in some respects the key to intelligence and it's some, you know, because it can't be converted into an algorithm, there's something profoundly mysterious about that. Yeah. And that also means that artificial intelligence is going to be behind us. So liberal artists are going to be those people that you cannot replace with AI. So mm -hmm. that's not, it's not only kind of like humanizing the technological aspect of your workforce and giving them more of this flexibility and this ability to stay ahead and therefore stay competitive. It's also, we're also learning that you cannot automate right. everything and some things humans have to do. And the liberal arts is really about those core arts of humanity. And so that's why it's going to be more important. Yeah, no, that's, I, I definitely agree. And I agree that, um, like what makes someone human and humanizing someone is humor and being able to connect and like read other humans and um, mm -hmm. get it's be on a level with them that it's artificial intelligence hasn't been able to replicate. Do you right. think, do you think artificial intelligence will be able to replicate it eventually? You're I'm going to say, I'm going to say yes, but I hope not. Yeah. And I hope it happens in like 500 years time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just yeah. to let you know, I, I'm a robot from the future. I'm not an actual okay. human. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'm a robot from the past, so I run okay. steam and coal. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, and what your note about um, computer science majors going down, I have it noted here. Mark Cuban actually agrees with you in saying that with the, um, the higher demand in liberal arts education in 10 years, he thinks there's also going to be a decline in computer science major. So I just want to let you know, you, you, uh, you got it right on the dot there. He, he hundred percent agrees with you. <laughs> yeah. Or, or maybe, you know, probably what will happen as well. There's a good chance that the, the curriculum for both will change mm -hmm. and there'll be more of a merging, right? I think one of the, one of the things in, you know, professional academia that we're not very good at is we like to add components to our degrees, but we never like to take them out. Mm -hmm. And I think that at some point, you know, you sort of need to revise and, and maybe computer science majors have too much computer science could do with more of something else. And conversely, majors in the liberal arts could do with more technical education. And I think we're always really open to those discussions and that and that's how it evolves. Right. I mean, that's how medicine evolved. Right. Medicine used to basically be a branch of alchemy. And it became right. more scientific and more empirically based and more deductive. And um, it's now a form of technology. And so, mm -hmm. you know, um, the world's knowledge evolves. Yeah. It's it's just like liberal arts evolves with the world and technology. And it's it's really interesting, actually. It's really uh, um, cool to watch. I think, it, you know, I've, I've always been quite fascinated with the sort of history of disciplines. You know, most of the disciplines that you can study, that you can major in in university, mm -hmm. less than 100 years old. Yeah. So, you know, um, uh, again, I'm an English professor. The very first, prof um, you know, full-time professor of English is less than 150 years ago. And departments didn't really exist till before, um, just before the Second World War. Um, same for sociology, you mm. know, same for philosophy, same for biology. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, what, um, I have a good friend who's a chemical engineer. I think the oldest chemical engineering department is probably less than 60 years old. Mm -hmm. So that's where we are now. And we look at the university and it looks so, you know, so, so proud and institutionalized. And, uh, you know, we kind of revere our institutions for 
um, for their longevity and their sense of tradition and legacy and all of that kind of stuff. But everything that's going on in those organizations, those departments, historically speaking, is really new. And so if we were to look again in another 50 years, the disciplines that currently exist on the application form for USC might be completely different. Mm -hmm. So we always have to hold, um, be really open to that. And I mean, you know, you see it all the time. I mean, you know, um, you know we have a, um, a kind of um, online gaming major at USC, for example. I mean, that didn't exist when I was a kid. That probably didn't yeah. exist 10 years ago. The world's right? adapting. So, <laughs> If, if, if you told yourself 10 years ago there was going to be a gaming major at USC, <laughs> imagine how that conversation would have gone. I know, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. You know, so people make fun of those kinds of things, yeah. right? I'm sure there's something we would make fun of today. You know, maybe, you know, maybe we kind of belittle somebody's obsession with social media and say, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, like there's going to be a major in TikTok. And, you know, <laughs> the time there is. I mean, yeah. you know, you're going to be careful. <laughs> We're predicting it now. We would like to right. take credit for it. <laughs> um, okay. Very interesting. Thank you. So um, the Eureka podcast spotlights innovators. Can you tell us about some of the innovations you are undertaking at USC? Yeah, I mean, USC is really at the forefront of innovation and has been from um, mm -hmm. its inception because, you know, this is an institution that was built in, the, um, in order to support the growing professional infrastructure of Southern California. So when Southern right. California was rural and really just some orange groves and, and um, homesteads, um, the University of Southern California was established in order to provide doctors and priests and um, lawyers and other kind of professions that would build a kind of city that had a, that um, mm -hmm. civic infrastructure that you would expect on an East Coast or a European city. So the university has always been kind of innovative, looking into the future and looking to build. You know, we had the very first school of cinematic arts, the very first... Right you know, film school ever in the mm -hmm. world established in the 1930s. And, and that in itself is just an incredible moment of innovation when you think about um, connecting on the one hand, the art of movies, you know, the cinematography, the composition, the acting, the music, the writing, all of that stuff's creative energy with the technology, you know, how you film things, how you process stuff, how you colorize things, how you do special effects, how you add audio. So that really is a, this kind of wonderful sort of, um, uh, if you like, sort of practical articulation of liberal arts in as much as it marries mm -hmm. the technical and the, and the creative uh, to produce something actually very lucrative and profit oriented, right? Uh, in, mm -hmm. in, the, in the Hollywood movie industry. So that has really been in the DNA of USC from the beginning. So if you look around the school right now, you'll see it all the time, new majors springing up. Right. Um, uh, faculty who are hired specifically because of their interdisciplinarity. You know, we have a whole range of what are called provosts professors. And um, these are individuals who are absolutely at the forefront of um, their fields of inquiry and they're sort of very highly regarded um, academics, but they come from uh, different fields which you integrate. So they might be interested in, in medicine, engineering, and business. 
and they're really at the forefront of all of those things or they're interested in uh things like uh museum studies right how you right. how you create and represent the past but they're also really interested in digital technology right how you mm -hmm. how you might kind of project that imagery and have virtual reality experiences of the past um, with people who are no longer with us. So USC is continually doing that. You know, in Dornsife, um, at the undergraduate level in particular, we're doing exactly what we were just talking about, which is kind of introducing some uh, discrete skills to students who um, are pursuing their passion. So, you right. know, I'm irrespective of what passionate in you know i'm a cheerleader for that i'm i'm saying do that that's the thing that's going to bring you success because if you like it it's not going to feel like work you're going to want to do it right and you're going to find a way a path is going to open for you if you pursue the thing you love but you know it won't hurt you uh to learn a little bit about the basics of entrepreneurship or or yeah. how to use excel or how to communicate in a business setting or how to write a grant for foundation or not-for-profit money. You know, all of these things are marketable skills. And I can go to a um, employer now and say, you know, I've got all this energy and this kind of intellectual curiosity. And I know a bit about lots of things and I'm excited to get going. Oh, by the way, I can do that spreadsheet for you now. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, these are, these are kind of practical skills. Yeah. And so that's the direction we're going in very much. And we're, we're doing more with the digital space. We're doing more with, um, you know, sort of computation and especially data science. Our world kind of revolves around data science. Now you don't need to be a computer science major. You don't need to be um, a genius at calculus, but there are some kind of data science applications and um, elements of knowledge. I think everybody should know, and and I actually think in in ten years will be considered um, a part of the core of liberal arts, um, according to this kind of spirit of evolution that we were discussing. Right, um, and like we were talking about earlier, the fact that the university was able to adapt to online learning so quickly just goes to show how modern it is and how uh, how like how how quickly it evolves. Yeah, and and also just you know when you're when you're a part of an institutional community that believes in something, you know, big collective endeavors can be achieved, and I think that's it for mm -hmm. me one of the most reassuring things about it. If we really believe in something, or you know, we're 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 our backs against a wall in a situation, we'll respond and will and our better natures will preside, and I think that's um, a really great message to take from it all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It was a pleasure having you. Um, to our viewers, thank you so much for tuning in and catch us with the next Eureka Moments Only podcast. Thank you. Thank you.